Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Tim Bratz. Tim is the CEO and founder of Legacy Wealth Holdings, a real estate investment company that acquires and transforms distressed apartment buildings into high-yield assets for their own portfolio. Uh, Tim's current portfolio exceeds 4,000 units with a valuation of over $350 million. So thank you so much for being on the show, Tim. I'm excited to be here, bud. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, it's awesome to connect. And uh, tell us a little bit about your background, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to getting involved with real estate investing. Yeah, man. Um, well, again, appreciate you having me here and um, excited to drop some knowledge if I, if I possibly can share some value. So, um, dude, I'm, I'm a kid from Cleveland, Ohio, right? I grew up in a blue collar suburb of Cleveland, uh, working class parents, working class family. Uh, went to college 03 to 07. And that was when the market was going crazy and everybody's making money in real estate. And uh, I was very money, money motivated kid when I was 20 years old. So I, uh, I graduated from college in 07. I moved out to New York City, uh, just kind of on a whim. My brother lived out there. So I lived with him and um, got a, I, I thought you got involved in real estate by getting a real estate license. So got my real estate license and somehow ended up with a commercial brokerage handling leasing for businesses and, uh, and landlords. And so we did like office leases and retail leases. Uh, and I just kind of brokered that stuff for about 12 months and it took me like eight months to close my first deal. Mm -hmm. It was a little dumpy 400 square foot space on a side street in Greenwich village and, uh, signed a lease for 12, I'm sorry, $10,000 a month on a 12 year <laughs> lease term. And I'm like, Holy smokes. Like I need to be on that side of the coin. I need to be owning real estate, you know, <laughs> not brokering it. And, uh, and so I, I decided to move out of New York. Um, it was just a bad winter and everything was expensive. So I moved down mm -hmm. to Charleston, South Carolina in 2008 and, um, decided I want to be a real estate investor and, you know, I read all the books and I sign up for all the courses and I go through analysis paralysis for six, seven months and realize I'm not going to learn how to invest in real estate by reading about investing in a book. And I need to actually take action. I need to jump in the water. Uh, you know, you can't learn how to swim by just reading about swimming. You got to actually right. get in the water and start <laughs> treading water. And, uh, and that's what I ended up doing, man. I, I um, found that this is right after the market crashed. I found the cheapest house uh, on the MLS I go in, I lowball it, go back and forth. And I bought a little dumpy duplex in the hood for $14,000 on my credit card. And then uh, just kind of cleaned it up, physically did all the work myself to it, held an open house. One of the neighbors came in and bought it for uh, $33,000. So I made about 13, 14 grand after all was said and done. And I was like, dude, I don't even know what I'm doing. And I'm making money <laughs> in this real estate market, right? Like I'm, I'm a punk 23 year old kid, never done a deal before. It's the worst housing market ever. And um, I'm like, let's go do it again. So then I got into like wholesaling and I, I learned how to find really good deals. I mean, they were everywhere, right? Back mm -hmm. then, um, uh, it was really hard to find money. And so you had to start getting creative and creatively structuring deals. And um, you know, I eventually met, met some people who had cash, but they didn't have the experience or the time or the expertise uh, and the knowledge and skill set to go out and do these deals. And I did the work, they brought the money and we came up with some sort of fair uh, equitable split on doing deals. And so that's kind of what, what got me going, man. And, and you know, fast forward, 
I, uh, since I sent you that, the, the update on the stats, um, I bought 552 doors, uh, since nice. then. And yeah, so we're, we're at a uh, 4,840 units as of today and uh, a little over $425 million of portfolio value. Awesome. And where is the, the majority of that located? Uh, Southeast. 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 And I got a lot in like Texas, Oklahoma area. Not a lot. I'd say, I don't know, 20% of my portfolio is in Texas, Oklahoma. And then um, uh, majority of it's in the Southeast, probably 60% of my portfolio. Nice. So Southeast and some of the mid South. So those are awesome markets. We like those markets too. Mm -hmm. So why did you make the switch to building a portfolio uh, versus uh, fix and flips and wholesaling and everything else you had going on like 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, man. So, um, you know, I think, I think when you see real estate, I think everybody has the allure of the residual income and the passive Mm -hmm. income, but then we all think we got to go and stockpile our own cash in order to get into the buy and hold type stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, which is not the case, right? But that's the trap that I fell into. And I got into flipping houses. I got into wholesaling houses, uh, the whole transactional type of trap. And, um, uh, you know, did all right. Like I wasn't good at flipping like the HGTV stuff, but we did, we did like turnkey houses. So I would buy a single family rental house, fix it all up, put a tenant in place, package it with management, and then sell it to some entrepreneur or white collar professional who just wanted like a turnkey house. Right. And so we were, we were doing somewhere between 80 to hundred of those per year. It was good. Kept food on the table, kept the lights on. And I was passively investing or raising money for mm. and, and sponsoring loans for uh, some apartment buildings. It took down some small buildings myself. And in, uh, in late 2017 or summer of 2017, I, I sat back on vacation one, uh, one morning and I was looking at my, my goals and looking at my, um, my net worth. And I realized, dude, 90% of my net worth came from my apartments and it was about yeah. 10% of my time. And I'm like, dude, mm-hmm. can you imagine if we dedicated all these resources over here that we're using in flipping houses and put them all towards buying apartment buildings and holding apartment buildings? Like, can you imagine how much growth we would have? And that's exactly what happened. Like I just drew a line in the sand. We burned the ships on all the single family <laughs> stuff we were doing. And we only focused on apartment buildings. You know what happened? an 11 unit popped up and a 20 unit and an 18 unit. And then all of a sudden we started compounding and growing and bought a 48 unit. And then I bought a 72 unit portfolio. And then I picked up um, a couple hundred units over the course of the next few months. And, um, and then I was at, I don't know, 600 doors or something. And then I took down a portfolio of 730 units in the summer of 2018. So less than 12 months later. And that's what really kind of put me on the map that put me over like, it put me at like 1300 doors and, um, and really what got me a lot of attention on social media and stuff. So that then turned into people asking me to coach them and mentor them and do that kind of jazz. And so I put together a little bit of like a coaching platform uh, that teaches people how to scale into apartments. And that has led to a ton of deal flow and a ton of investors uh, for more projects. So we've just kind of amplified what we've done. So by the end of 2018, I was at 15, 1600 units. I picked up almost another 2000 doors in 2019 another thousand doors in 2020, despite what happened with COVID last year and another almost 600 doors this year. Oh, fantastic. So for you scaling so fast, was it because, uh, did you have other partners that were handling other parts of the business or what is your specialty when it comes to it is, are you an underwriter? Are you, it sounds like you're more of the face of the business for raising money. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Um, uh, and what I think a lot of people get caught up on coming from residential into multifamily is, you know, in the single family world, it's hard to carve up 20 or 30 grand of profit with a bunch of 
a players on your team, you know? So it's like a solo kind of type of business. When you get into multifamily or commercial, it's a lot more of a team sport and it's more exciting because you're, you're talking about not 30 grand, you're talking about $3 million of profit in a given deal. So you can attract those A players and it makes everybody um, excited and, and um, you know, gets their attention because you're talking about big dollar amounts. And so exactly to your point, man, what I ended up doing is I brought in A players uh, they handled the stuff that I was not good at. I handled mm-hmm. the stuff and stayed in my lane of the things that I liked doing and what I was really good at. And that's, that's this, right. That's being yep. um, active on social media and it's, it's educating and that then leads to deal flow. So I was able to hand that off to my acquisitions guy. It mm-hmm. leads to money flow, which I was able to hand off to my chief investment officer. And I still raise a lot of money. That's, that's really my, my forte. And then, you know, suppliers and vendors and contractors, I was able to hand off to my COO and he was able to kind of just continue refining uh, that part of our business. So, you know, I I see all those guys as kind of the engines of my business and I'm like the fuel that feeds all of them. So um, everything would run great. I'm not needed from a day-to-day operation standpoint, Uh, but when we are actively buying or actively selling, I'm the loan sponsor, right? I sign on 4,800 doors, I am a general partner on all of them. I'm a loan sponsor on 95% and a managing member on 95% of them. So um, it's not like I have a little bit of equity. Like I have a majority of the equity in all those different projects. Um, So I am needed on the acquisition and the disposition side of things. But from a day-to-day standpoint, the team, man, they've been crushing it. And I'm, I'm super blessed to be surrounded by great people. So what type of uh, processes and systems have you put in place that allow you to step back from the day to day? Because I think that's everyone's dream. And especially when you're getting into real estate investing, especially if someone's a flipper. And I know that adult daycare, they call flipping houses. uh, What a headache it is. Yeah, man. It's a a lot of work. That's another great question. Um, it, It doesn't happen overnight, right? Like it I was really bad at real estate for eight years and I fumbled and messed up and screwed up over and over and over again. And every time I did, I just, I sharpened the ax a little bit. I got a little bit better. I didn't make that mistake a second time. Um, I hired an assistant before I hired a COO, right? I hired uh, a project manager before I ever hired an in-house attorney, right? Like I took little steps of hiring one person at a time and I didn't hire them for that role. I hired them for two roles above where they were, right? My COO, we used to co-wholesale together. And I saw the guy's work ethic and I was like, dude, I can't afford to not have him on my team anymore. My chief investment officer used to be my business attorney that was just, you know, he'd handle evictions for me and some other stuff. And then he passively loaned me money once in a while. And I realized, dude, you could handle the entire capital raising side of things. Um, and I brought him in-house about two and a half years ago. Uh, but we were, he was my business attorney for seven years first. And I had to give up equity. You know, like I think a lot of people get, get caught up and I want to own 100% of it. Uh, but they own 100% of a grape. You know, I'd yeah. rather own 25% of a watermelon. There's a lot more juice in the squeeze of 25% of a watermelon than in 100% of a grape. And so um, and you, and you realize guys like Elon Musk only owns 22% of Tesla. You know, Jeff Bezos owns... Uh, 11% of Amazon. And when you think about that, they're the two richest, wealthiest people in the entire world. And they only own that much of their business. That means, you know, there's something to bringing on a players, giving up a little bit of equity um, and, and, you know, kind of biting that bullet because it's not about this deal, right? It's about what does this deal set you up to do 
for the next 10, 50, 100 deals that you could do because you gave up a little bit more equity on this one. And it's easy to do mm -hmm. in commercial real estate. Like you don't have to get mm -hmm. married across your entire portfolio to yes. do one deal with somebody. You know, you and I do a deal together. And if we, if we like doing business, guess what? We could do another deal together. If it doesn't right. fit, then we sell that deal and we move on with life, you know? Um, but it's easy to do in the commercial side. So that's what I ended up doing. I ended up joint venturing and, mm -hmm. um, you know, students would bring me a deal. They could handle project management, property management. I could bring loan sponsorship, capital to the deal, mm -hmm. asset management, kind of uh, help capital manage and uh, do some of those things. And so it allowed us to stay in our lane, allowed them to do their thing. And dude, when you do that, one plus one equals three. You can accomplish yeah. a lot more as a team. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was having coffee with a really wealthy guy uh, a couple of years ago, and he was telling me we had met like a, a couple of months before, and he was saying he was all pumped about buying this business. And then I met him like three months later, and he's like, no, 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 I never went through with it. And I was like, why? He's like, I can't find the right person to run it. If I can't find the right person to run it, I don't do it. Yeah. And it's completely different from someone that might not be as savvy, let's say, and they're just looking at straight numbers, but you know, they want someone that's a rock star that's going to run this new investment for them because they're not the one that's going to go run it. Right. And uh, so it's completely true about aligning yourself with people that are doing what their specialty is and spending and focusing on doing that versus uh, something else. Right. Or wearing too many hats, which is a huge mistake because you're not going to be great at all of them. No, man. I mean, you, yeah. you think about Jeff Bezos, Elon mm -hmm. Musk, Warren Buffett, like, dude, they have the same 24 hours in a day that we do. How do they mm -hmm. accomplish so much more? Um, and, it, and, and likewise, you know, the homeless guy asking for money, like he's got the same 24 hours in a day that we do. How come mm -hmm. he's accomplishing so much less? It's like, what are the activities that you're focused on and what is the highest and best use of your time? And, um, uh, you know, there, there's charts out there that show $10 an hour tasks, $100 an hour mm -hmm. tasks, $1,000 an hour tasks, $10,000 an hour tasks. And I'm very um, focused and very disciplined with only spending my time on $10,000 an hour and better tasks. If it's anything uh, less than that, I staff it out. I give it to somebody on my team or I just delete it altogether from, from uh, my life. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, especially when you be, start becoming successful, then uh, all these different shiny objects come into your view, whether it's from other people trying to get you involved with what they're doing and you got to just... Somebody called me, it was actually early today about that. And I was like, nope, I, you know, this is what we're doing. Like, I'm not changing what I, what, how we work with, you know, you got to stay in what your lane is and, uh, you know, sure. the power is, focus is power, right? Tony Robbins. So Dude, the, 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 the difference between successful people and really successful mm -hmm. people is really successful people saying no to almost everything. Yeah, true. Very, very true. And you can look back at uh, like Bezos, Gates, all these kind of people and how many successful organizations or businesses have they built? I mean, Bill Gates did one business for like most of his life and then he went and did this, his, fun, mm -hmm. his foundation. So it's like they did one thing really, really well and then they went on. And I met yep. amazing, uh, amazing people they brought along with them to run that first business. So, mm -hmm. so you, you, uh, you coach a lot of new investors. What would you suggest to a new investor that wants to start flipping houses or building a rental portfolio? Oh man. So I, I actually don't do a lot of like newbie type coaching. Actually, mm. a lot of the people okay. that I coach are already doing real estate in some capacity and they're looking to get nice. into buy and hold type stuff. Um, however, I just got a TikTok account and I'm more active on Instagram now. So I got a lot of young kids who are hitting me up saying, Hey, I'm 15, I'm 18, I'm 22. And I want to get involved in real estate. I love what you're doing. And I want to do exactly that. Like what advice would you give me? Um, 
And uh, so anyways, I'm, I'm thinking about coming out with just some content and I'm, I'll probably give it away. I'm not even going to charge for it or anything about like, you know, getting into rental properties and how to, how to, what that looks like. But uh, I think early on, man, I would focus on the revenue generating activities. I think that's one of those things people get involved and they start their business and they think, you know, getting a website is doing the business or uh, ordering business cards is doing the business or, you know, going to networking events, which has yeah. some value to it, obviously um, is doing it. But dude, you know what, you know, what does deals? Like there's only three actions that actually make you money in real estate, sourcing deals, sourcing capital and refining your operations or mm. like dispositions essentially, yeah. depending on if you're holding or selling. So like, dude, if you're not, you know, the only action in sourcing deals that you can control because you can't control how many deals actually close because there's so many other variables that come into the mix, but you can control how many offers you make. That is the most important metric that you can be measuring. So if you are a newbie and you want to get involved in real estate, like I would be obsessed over making 10 offers every single day, Mm -hmm. every day, five days a week minimum. And eventually what will happen is a ratio will appear. If you make 50 offers a week, that's 200 offers a month. And all of a sudden you got four deals out of it. Guess what? You know that if you want to do eight deals next month, you need to make 20 offers a day and do 400 offers, right? That month. Um, and, and eventually a ratio will appear where it offers predictability to how much revenue you can generate and how many deals you can do. Um, so you always need to be sourcing deals. That's the most important thing that especially anybody can be doing in this market right now. Um, you know, when I first got started, sourcing capital was really, really tough. It was easy to find deals, but sourcing capital. So I was, I've always been focused on doing both of them because I know how hard it was when there wasn't money on the streets. Now there's a lot of money on the streets, but it's yeah. a lot harder to find deals. Um, and then there's, um, uh, once you have the deal, like that's cool. You bought an apartment building or you bought a rental, like now you got to keep it, you know, which is where the <laughs> real work begins. Um, and you got to have dialed in operations, standard operating procedures, good partners, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing on that side um, of the coin to make sure that they're focused on that side. Uh, but the money-making thing, the, really the money-making things are sourcing deals and raising money. And then you can find great partners to operate. That, that a lot of times becomes the bottleneck, but it's a really important piece because um, if you're not doing that, doesn't, everything else is, uh, is pointless. Yeah, if you're raising capital, I mean, it's not going to be your highest and best use going out to uh, project manage and dealing with general contractors and yeah. all that stuff. It's But you'll have someone on there that will do it great and likes spending that time and likes visiting the properties and likes uh, all that, the management that goes with it. And uh, it's just kind of finding that person and aligning them into your team. So that's yeah. uh, it's awesome. So what are common mistakes you see real estate investors make other than spending time doing activities that will not generate revenue? Oh, man. Um I, I would say the first one that comes to mind is skimping on due diligence, right? Like mm. a lot of times when you get started, people like they don't want to outlay the cash for a deal that they're not sure they're going to, they're going to acquire. And so they don't have the plumbing line scope. They don't bring out an electrician mm. to look at the electrical panels. They don't bring out an HVAC tech in order to review all the mechanicals. They don't, you know, do a thermal scan of the roof because they don't want to spend $2,000 or whatever it is. And so like, I see them skimping on that. And then all of a sudden they get into a deal that there's a lot of unknowns and there's a lot of surprises and that deal kicks them in the crotch. Um, spend the money. Like it's much better to spend a couple thousand dollars 
and do the deal the right way and then walk away from it and only lose $2,000 versus $20,000 or $200,000 or God forbid, $2 million uh, because you didn't do all the due diligence. Um, and then from there, the other thing that I would say is like a lot of people, they, they're like, oh, well, I, they try to force deals to happen, mm-hmm. right? And they, they, they try to push the rents because if, hey, if I can get you know, 975 instead of 950, oh, this deal will work. No, no, no. I go the opposite direction. I go down to 900. I try to kill the deal. And, and I stress test all the different numbers, the rental rates, the cap rates, the interest rates, um, the expenses and all that stuff. I stress test the heck out of it. And if I cannot kill the deal, that's when I know it's a good deal, mm. right? Like, so I try, to, I try to kill it. I try to find any way for it to not work. I don't try to force the numbers to make it work because then everything's got to go perfect. Uh, dude, I got, I got one deal. Actually, the 700 unit portfolio I bought almost three years ago. Um, dude, it was a heavy value add, a big lift. There was a lot of work that went into it. Um, we got, you know, it was early in my career, so I didn't have the best financing terms. Um, it was just, it was a lot, of, it was a big deal. And if everything went perfect, it would have been smoke and returns for the investors. Yeah. Um, you know, 40% annualized, 50% annualized returns for the investors. Um, and what happened was like, dude, right as we were coming down, rounding third base, COVID <laughs> hit. And it extended out the renovation project. Like we couldn't get all the appliances in. So then it delayed and we had bad financing, which was really expensive. And then um, some of the tenant base was more C-class. So it was a little bit of a heavy management intensive. And they started gaming the the, uh, rents and not paying. And it just got delayed by about 12 months, which ate up a bunch of the the profit and the deal. And and I had a conversation two days, yesterday, two days ago with, uh, with the investors I said, Hey guys, it was a heavy lift. You know, we knew that going into it. And uh, the good news is we stress tested the hell out of the numbers and you know, we're, we're coming in a little bit shy of what we hoped the value would be. And it's the budget's a little bit more than what we hoped it would be, but guess what? Your annualized uh, year over year return is going to be North of 20% as a worst case scenario on this deal. Is that a, is that good or bad? Oh my God. That's amazing. Right. Because I stress tested it. If I would have forced the numbers to happen on a deal like that, and uh, eventually, or essentially, like the investors either would not have made a return or potentially even lost money because you no. don't stress test the numbers. Try to kill the deal. Yeah. Well, how did you find that portfolio? Uh, so this is like 2000, when did I buy it? Early 2018 or like summer of 2018. Contracted it in early 2018. Um, which is before like apartments became kind of mainstream and cool. It was like right <laughs> during that time frame. And because it was like 50% occupied in like a tertiary market of, uh, of Georgia, it's just, dude, it, it, was, it wasn't a market that the hedge funds and REITs wanted to go in. It was too much work for them to want to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. And it was too, too big of a portfolio and too much work for some of the smaller guys to qualify for. And I had performed on some deals in the, in the local market there and had a little bit of a reputation with the brokers of closing on some difficult deals. And, um, and so it got brought to me. So they brought, they brought the deal to me. Mm. Uh, the seller took a haircut on the sales price. We were not the highest offer, but they knew that we would get the deal done and, and we closed on it. And so we closed on it, um, got it for a great price point, but had to put a boatload of money into it. So it's been, um, it's been a process and uh, a, a great uh, experience. It, it kind of catapulted me to get to where I am today. And, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't the best deal. 
I've ever done either. Yeah. And we're actually, we were talking offline before we got rolling. Like that's, those are some of the properties I'm selling right now just because they're heavy management intensive. Yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. So what do you think are the main factors that have contributed to your success, Tim? Oh man. Um, I would say, dude, I got involved in real estate and that's the only thing I've ever known. So ever since college, mm -hmm. The only thing I've ever been educated on has been real estate. So I didn't really have like a backup plan when it like, when things got hard, when things got tough, when I walked into houses and roaches fell on my head, or I walked out of houses with fleas up to my knees, when contractors burned me, when tenants chased me out of buildings with baseball bats, like uh, when, 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 you know, lenders bailed the, the three days before closing, um, I couldn't quit. Right. I just, I just didn't have anything to retreat to. So I had to push through and I had to make it happen. Um, so I think, I think, you know, not quitting and just having the tenacity to see things through, it's easy, dude, for everybody to start, right. Everybody's got the ambition to start, but yeah. not a lot of people have the perseverance to stay. And, and I had the perseverance to stay. I just, I just saw it through. I, mean, I don't know if it's because I'm tough or it's just because I didn't have anything to retreat to, <laughs> but I just kept staying with it. And real estate's not an experiment, man. Like this is something that's time tested and true and you mm -hmm. will build wild amounts of wealth if you just stick with it and keep on doing the activities, right? Uh, that's the other thing I'd say. I focused on, I, once I understood what the actionable uh, revenue generating activities were, that's what I focused on. I just doubled down on those and um, doubled down on those and then hired people to make sure that those uh, were just obsessed over. Yeah. And um and now I'm kind of at a place in my business where uh, I actually do the activities that are not quantifiable. You know, me and you hanging out on here, we were talking offline about your buddy who's right up the road from me. And who knows, we might, we might do some deals together. Maybe I'll bring yeah. capital to one of your projects or buy a deal from you or vice versa. And I don't know, it's not quantifiable, right? But like, that's the stuff that I spend my time on because mm. it could turn into a seed that's planted today that, that blossoms two years from now, 20 years from now, two months from now, who knows um, that, that, you know, you don't even know how much opportunity could come from it. So yeah. this is what I focus on on now is like the, the non-quantifiable things, but that's because I have people in place to do the, uh, the revenue generating quantifiable measurements. Nice. So you, you talk about three actions to be successful in a commercial multifamily or in commercial real estate in general, let's just say, uh, what are these? Uh, that, that's going back to kind of what I said oh, before, sourcing oh, deals, sourcing, sourcing money and refining mm -hmm. operations. That's what I would really focus on. Um, uh, if you are, if you're trying to buy and hold or you're trying to buy and sell, the only thing that would change is instead of refining your operations, just work on selling, right? Like finding buyers yeah. for your properties. But I think if you focus on those activities and you're going to be in, in really good shape, you're doing the things that actually count, um, which is, you know, making offers, Mm -hmm. and prospecting or having conversations with potential private money lenders. Mm -hmm. If you talk to, if you make, I don't know, two to five offers every day and you talk to two to five prospective money lenders every single day, dude, it will compound so mm -hmm. rapidly. Your mind will be blown at the opportunities that you have in the next 90 to 180 days. It'll just yeah. be, you'll be like, oh my gosh, there's so much money out there. Oh my gosh, there's so much opportunity out there. And like, you'll be taking deals down. All you got to do yeah. is those activities. Yeah, it's funny because, uh, you know, we track our KPIs and stuff and you have like simple, and I have some other KPIs personally that I keep for our business. 
And after a while, you see after like a year, you see where you were and what's happening. And this week was good and this one wasn't as good, but you actually see the progress. And uh, I mean, it's it's amazing because when people talk to me about commercial real estate, I always tell them it's um, the competitive advantage is relationships and sourcing cash. So if you can do those two, it's, you know, if you have the relationships, you now have that competitive advantage against someone new that comes in because you have relationships with brokers, property managers, all these different people, especially if you're in a market and you have tons of units there already. And then if you can source cash to close on it, I mean, you've put yourself ahead of so many other people just focusing on those two simple things. So I, I totally agree with you. So how can our listeners learn more about you and your business, Tim? Um, I'm active on social media, you know, hit me up on, on Facebook, Instagram is where I'm most active. I also have accounts on LinkedIn and TikTok, and, um, I have a YouTube channel called legacy wealth. And, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I answer all my own messages on Facebook and Instagram. So if anybody has questions, hit me up. I'm happy to kind of point you in the right direction, support. I put out a ton of content, um, about buying apartment buildings and really like more wealth building and entrepreneurship and even personal development, lifestyle design type stuff, um, that helped get me to where I am. And I think if it helped get me to where I am and I can help other people get there too, I think there's, um, you know, it doesn't create competition. If I teach other people how to buy apartments, it actually creates more collaboration mm-hmm. because people want a joint venture. They want to do deals. It helps them get into deals that they couldn't have gotten into. It helps me get into deals that I couldn't have gotten into. And all of a sudden we're able to build wealth together. So I'm always just trying to, you know, connect with great people, great entrepreneurs, people who are moving in the same direction and um, have common goals and ambitions. Yeah. I think people, when they get into commercial real estate, they're trying to, some people that are unsuccessful to try to do it themselves. And you have to kind of give into now I need partners. And uh, that's when you have people reach out to you and say, Hey, I've got a deal here. Or if I find a deal and that's, what's great about doing all the networking and everything with social media. So thank you yep. so much for coming on today, Tim, have a great rest of your week. And uh, hopefully we can connect here uh, in the future face-to-face. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you for having me. Talk to you soon. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.